an agricultural empire, the fulfillment of the dreams of pioneers, unexcelled in beauty, rich in achievement, and still offering a challenge mighty as the mountains. This is our Northwest Empire. I'm Felix Bunnell, resident historian for Cairo News Radio. Heard with Dave Ross and Colleen O'Brien, Wednesdays and Fridays on Seattle's Morning News. On this episode of the Resident Historian Podcast, Tech City Bowl in Kirkland is closing. So once that all happens, then unfortunately this place will be gone and there will be new retail and housing here. And one local girl's quest to take a photo of Elvis at the Seattle World's Fair. The devil made me do it. (laughs) You know, I just, I didn't even think. And then... From the archives, taking a memory cruise on Colby Avenue in Everett. You drive from the high school south down to the old Greyhound bus station, turn around and come back. And stay tuned for a roundup of exhibits, tours, talks, and other history events happening in the Pacific Northwest with the Nevergreen Minute. But first, let's go all over the map. In the nation's northwest corner is Washington. And here it is Friday, time for our resident historian Felix Bunnell to join us for all over the map. A quick look at stories behind local places and things. And this week, in Tacoma's Commencement Bay, the names of industrial waterways reveal layers of history. Turn your mic up. There you go. And now, here's Felix Bunnell. Brand new to radio. First day on the job. Is this on? Hello? Are we doing this live? Yes. You know, uh, so in Elliott Bay, we have just two industrial waterways. The, you know, the around the Harbor Island, we have the East Waterway and the West Waterway of the Duwamish River. Not very exciting names, right? East and West. Probably easy to guess the origins. Um, before Harbor Island came, though, the Duwamish had a broad natural estuary and all sorts of river channels that fluctuated over time, like Kellogg Island, which we talked about before. You go down to Tacoma on Commencement Bay, the mouth of the Puyallup River looked a lot like the Duwamish back in the 19th century. But then it got industrialized, and they built a series of waterways that were mapped out, dredged, and named. There's a fairly eclectic assortment. I think there's eight or nine by my count. We can't do them all this morning, of course, so we'll have them all at my northwest. Let's go in order from southwest to northeast with some of the highlights. Thea Foss Waterway, probably the best known in Tacoma. It's named for the Foss Maritime founder, Thea Foss. But that name only dates to the Foss Centennial and the State Centennial in, uh, back in 1989. When it was first established back in the 1890s in what was likely once the main channel of the Puyallup River, it was called City Waterway. That's even duller. I know. <laughs> <laughs> All right, we'll skip over to the Puyallup Waterway. That's the industrialized and artificially permanent channel of the Puyallup River. It was down there a few days ago. It's gorgeous. It's this weird mix of nature and in- industry and just incredible there when the sun shines. Really hard to get to if you try and drive there in your car. Now, I traded emails with Amber Hayward. She's program director of the Puyallup Tribal Language Program about the w- meaning of the word Puyallup. She said oral histories have many quotes referencing our people as the generous and welcoming people. She also gave me the literal translation from Lashootse, the indigenous language. Uh, before it was rechanneled and in- industrialized, the river curved a lot. Thus, Puyallup means bend at the bottom. Bend at the bottom. Yeah, it was kind of curvy, just like the Duwamish was. It was a bendy, curvy, natural river. Uh-huh. And the tribe are the people at the bend at the bottom. It's well, all very are. simple. These place names, the original place names before the Europeans came here, they're all very fairly literal, right? Makes yeah. perfect sense. <laughs> what did the Europeans do? Yeah, they ruined everything, of course. Um, <laughs> yeah. And that's what we talk about every day here with all the news. It's always <laughs> bad news. Um, one more we'll get to here was the Milwaukee Waterway. Mm. Why, would have, why would you have a waterway named Milwaukee in Tacoma? Good question. Know. It was named around 1907. That was when the Milwaukee, Chicago, and St. Paul Railroad, short names Milwaukee Road, they planned a huge rail yard and port facility there. It opened for business in 1909. It was huge. It was there until the 1970s when the Milwaukee Road kind of had their big financial derailment. Port of Tacoma bought it and filled all the water in with dirt and made a big cargo facility. 
but the Milwaukee name still stands. And there's all kinds of other names. We'll have the big list at MyNorthwest.com, and it goes back just a crazy eclectic mix of names for the waterways in Commencement Bay. Well, if there's any consolation, I just looked up Milwaukee, and the word Milwaukee comes from an Algonquin word, Milioki, meaning good, beautiful, and pleasant land. Or Milwaukee, as Wayne's World would say. <laughs> or a home of big brewery. Yeah, the, the, yeah. it's the, the waterway that made Tacoma famous. Exactly right. Whether we travel by water, land, or air, we are thrilled by the scenic grandeur of the evergreen state. Wednesday is History Day on Seattle's Morning News, and our resident historian Felix Bunnell, brought to you by Lake Washington Windows and Doors, has been talking to a family that's been operating bowling alleys in Washington for nearly a hundred years, and you have some news about the bowling alley that they have owned in Kirkland since the 1950s, Felix. Yep. Um, we're talking about Tech City Bowl on Rose Hill on the eastern edge of Kirkland, um, right, right where Redmond begins and Bridal Trails on Northeast 70th. Now, when I was growing up a half a mile away and I was a member of the JV bowling team from Lake Washington High School, go Kangs, um, it was called Totem Bowl. had all kinds of mid-century Native American motif and decorations, caricatures. The alcohol was served from a place called the Kalijah Lounge, named after that famous cigar store, Indian in the Hank Williams song. All that went away 25 years ago in a brilliant update and rebranding to reflect the presence of Microsoft. They call it Tech City Bowl. But now the real estate, about three acres or so of prime commercial land in the middle of a fast-growing community, is now more valuable than the business. So Totem Bowl was built in 1958 by a couple named Jim and Frida Gaines. Jim passed away in the 90s, and then Frida and one of their daughters took over. And about 15 years ago, the next generation took over. I sat down there on Monday with two of Jim and Frida's grandchildren, Michelle Danner, Secretary of the Board, and her brother Don Wells, the president. It was Don Wells who told me what's next for Tech City Bowl. The eventuality, unfortunately, is that uh, our last weekend will be the 2nd of October. Uh, we're going to operate and continue to you know, take care of our customers in the neighborhood and you know, just have a really, really good six months of fun and memories and enjoy the place. And then we will shut it down at the 2nd of October. Uh, hopefully, we're going to find a buyer for the equipment that will be able to move it to a center nearby uh, or create a new center out of it. Uh, got a couple things that we're kind of talking about. And uh, so once that all happens, then... Unfortunately, this place will be gone, and there will be new retail and housing here. So, but we'll see what it, we'll see what it becomes. Yeah, I mean, it's just like Narrows Plaza Bowl, where I yeah. visited in February, I think, down near Tacoma. And to be clear, Don Wells and other family members are in the process of selling that property for an undisclosed amount, and the bowling alley will be open until Sunday, October second. Um, the family's been looking at that, redeveloping it for probably twenty years, maybe, maybe, maybe more. It was recently rezoned by the city to five-story mixed use. We all know what that looks like, of course. Um, that's that's progress. And there's been rumors for years about it shutting down. Um, they told me they were exploring options that would have included building a new bowling alley there. But the pandemic closures hit hard financially and otherwise, and a buyer made an offer. Now, that original totem bowl opened at that spot with 16 lanes in 1958. Before that, Jim and Frida ran the old bowling alley in downtown Kirkland. And before that, Frida's parents immigrated from Germany and they settled in central Washington. Off to Grand Coulee they go. They opened the Grand... They, I believe they opened the Grandview Hotel there. Had two lanes of bowling and a German club with a secret door to get through to, so they could serve beer during Prohibition. And, you know, those little things you got to do. You know, and that was when they sold that and then went to Snohomish and the Everett Rec Center. You know, and it's... So we're, we're talking about almost 100 years of family history involved with the game of bowling. I mean, so we've all seen this story before. It just sort of comes to different communities. Um, they've already told their employees, about more than 40 people or so, not all full-time. Um, and those people will all lose their jobs come October. They haven't told the community yet. This is the first news. We're, we're breaking the news this morning about this shutting down. There's been rumors swirling for the last month mm -hmm. or two, but this is the actual official this news. This will come as a shock. 
You know, and I've worked for family businesses. I've never been part of a family business. But it's clear talking to Don Wells and his sister Michelle, there's mixed emotions. I mean, they're, you know, they're selling the business. They're getting out of it. None of them has worked in it directly, really, ever. It was mainly their grandparents' passion. But um, it's a big connection. Their dad, um, the son of Jim and Frieda Gaines, he died at age 39 back in 1980. So this is, this is sort of their last tangible connection to their dad, too. So it's, it's, it's an all-too-common story. It's just, you know, it's, I don't know if it's progress, but it's just change. Change is inevitable, right? Yeah. So, all right. So that's, they're open till October 2nd. So don't give up. Make a final visit or several final visits to Tech City Bowl. And they're going to be bringing back the Totem Burger, which was a popular thing in the old Collegial Lounge, I think. And they're going to have 1958 prices and stuff like that. So mm-hmm. there's still time to celebrate um, Tech City Bowl, Totem Bowl. Now, in other news today, next week is the 60th anniversary of the Seattle World's Fair. We've been right. talking about that a lot, right? We've been collecting memories of uh, people who experienced that. <clears throat> 60 years is a long time ago, but there's still a lot of people around who were there. I connected with a woman named Catherine White. Um, she was born in Seattle in 1946 and grew up on Queen Anne Hill. She's a baby boomer through and through. She saw Elvis Presley on the Ed Sullivan Show and was hooked, right? So in 1962, she and her friend Betsy created an official Elvis Presley fan club. That September, her mom wrote her a note so she could skip school and go to the World's Fair to watch Elvis filming the movie they made there. They watched for hours near what's Climate Pledge Arena. A cameraman helped them get autographs, but it was around twilight when things got all shook up. They were transporting Elvis and a couple of his crew members from one portion of the Seattle Center to another, and he was in his uh, flight gear or whatever he was wearing. And I jumped up on this golf cart thing. I was only 15. It was going like one mile an hour, and I jumped up, and I had my brother's brownie box camera, and I had to look down into the camera to get him in the frame. And and I just I only could do it once, and then I was pulled off the cart by the security. She says, you can't be up there. And, you know, I was, you know, I was nice. And I said, oh, I'm sorry. So she actually climbed up on the moving golf cart and mm-hmm. got a picture of Elvis. She snapped it with this little brownie box camera. Yeah. And it was about 10 days later that she learned that the picture actually turned out. It's a previously unpublished photo of Elvis. We have it now at My Northwest. But it's this incredible I'd look back. And I asked her, were you actually planning to do that? Was this some sort of devious plan you had in mind? I have no idea. It's just like the devil made me do it. <laughs> you know, I just... I didn't even think of hurting myself, but, I mean, I was only 15, and it was uh, like 4'11", I think. They must have been going slow enough for me to have felt safe safe to, you know, I I didn't think I was doing a dumb thing, but in retrospect, it probably was. was 15-year-old girl, how could you not do that if if Elvis is right there? By the way, I didn't know there were any unpublished Elvis photographs. I know, it's crazy. That's that's what Cairo News Radio is here for, Dave. Um, but it's a great picture we have at Minor Northwest. We're still collecting memories for a while because the anniversary is next week, right? And then next, there's a very special show coming up next Wednesday night that it's going to be at Seattle Center, live mm-hmm. from the Space Needle. Right. I'm hosting it on the Seattle Channel. We're going to be talking to World's Fair old-timers. There'll be a lot of other surprises, including a local legend who I like to call Dave Ross. What will he be doing? I kind of want that to be a surprise. I think people have to tune in, and we'll have information at Minor Northwest about that, too. But, you know, it's the 60th anniversary. There's a handful of people left who help run that fair. They're all going to be there next Wednesday night talking to me and looking out over the city and talking about the past and the present and the future and celebrating a really important milestone in the city's history. So it should be fun. Will we get the same kind of intensive rehearsal before the performance that we have for, <laughs> for your radio plays? Yes, I'm very exacting. We, we, we go over things. We, we rehearse them into the ground. We stomp all the life out of everything we rehearse. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, good. By the way, there's still a place to, uh, I mean, the Lucky Strike bowling alley is still there in Bellevue, right? 
Yeah, those are those ironic bowling alleys, which I'm not a big fan of. They're big corporate, owned by some sort of Eastern syndicate or something. They move in here overnight. They get set up. Eastern blink. syndicates. Yeah. Totem Bowl, Tech City mm. Bowl, that was organic, homegrown, local bowling. That's the kind of stuff that I love. Organic, homegrown. Yeah. <laughs> a small batch. Uh, pretty soon they'll be <laughs> delivering bowling in a box <laughs> on your front door. Homegrown. That's a Thank good you, idea. Felix. <laughs> For this is Cairo where modern adventure and intrigue unfold against a backdrop of antiquity. For this edition of From the Archives, before rideshare apps and mass transit, kids cruised Colby Avenue in Everett. Your Chrysler dealer in downtown Seattle is the SL Savage Company. Thanks for the phone calls to KJR, the request line, the All-American line at 421-9290 to uh, Charlie Griffin of Renton, who called in, and Mickey Davey, who lives over on Mercer Island. And to everybody by the name of Renee. Hey. All right. I love hearing that on Cairo. That's Working awesome. in rock and roll again. <laughs> so here we are in the age of rideshare apps. And when you think about that, going back to the days when teenagers were driving in cars up and down the streets of Kirkland or Renton or some other town, seems like uh, we're going back to the days of the Oregon Trail. Yeah, in that case, Felix Spinell is the perfect guy to tell us about the cruising years on Colby Avenue in Everett. Felix is brought to us by the King County Library System. How, how cool to hear Pat O'Day on the Cairo Airwaves yes. on KJR. Now, I got a letter, an actual paper letter in an envelope from a Cairo listener named Tom King. He lives in Marysville. He grew up there. He's in his mid-60s. A few days ago, I met up with Tom in front of Everett High School on Colby Avenue in downtown Everett, and he described a typical Friday or Saturday night circa 1969. We'd head out, and we used to go across, well, it's Highway 99, or we called it the Flats then. You knew you were from Marysville or Everett if you, if you called it the Flats, and that's before <laughs> I-5 was finished. So you headed out, and usually what we did was we stopped at Herfie's Drive-In, which is down here on 21st and Broadway. It's now a teriyaki restaurant. And you'd get a Herfie's Hefty Burger, and then you'd head up here to Colby, and you'd drive from the high school south down to the old Greyhound bus station, turn around, and come back. Yeah, a total of six blocks one way. Um, and what Tom King was describing as we sat there in front of the high school in his modern pickup truck was cruising Colby as a high school kid 50 years ago in his 1964 Ford Falcon. And technically, it's a form of social distancing because you're socializing with people yes. inside your car. Yeah. Um, so Tom put the truck in gear, and we headed south on Colby, and he explained what cruising was really all about. Yeah, we just kind of drive along here about, you know, 15, 20 miles an hour and be two lanes each direction. And, of course, you stop at the stoplight, and that would be an opportune time usually try to talk to somebody or pick up girls. So, so were you ever successful in picking up girls out here? Well... Yeah, I guess, you know, sort of. <laughs> are you being modest? or are you, are... <laughs> I'm being sincere, I think. Yeah. yeah, my wife, my late wife used to ask me about that occasionally. You know, she'd say, well, who did you meet up there on Colby? And I'd say, well, I can't remember their names. <laughs> um, so cruising was a thing on Colby and in communities all around the U.S. since sometime in the 1950s. It began as a boomer thing, of course. Tom says his brother, who's 11 years older, was doing it back then. You know, that George Lucas movie from 1973, American Graffiti, it depicts it pretty well. Tom King says he watches that movie about once a year, and actually he had the soundtrack playing in his truck. And music, especially local radio, was a big part of how the whole cruising thing was tied together. We listened to KJR AM, Channel 95. It was a top 40 radio station. And there was also KOL in Seattle. Most... I think most of my friends, we listened to KGR. It was more of the mainstream top 40, uh, Creedence Clearwater, the Beatles, the Beach Boys. KOL, I think, leaned more towards uh, the Stones, uh, the Doors, <laughs> a little heavier music. And then uh, I was really fortunate. I saved my money up, and I bought a uh, Craig 8-track tape player. 
So that was top technology then. <laughs> so Tom mentioned KJR, and so that any excuse to reach out to Pat O'Day, and I'm dialing my phone. So he's the elder statesman of Northwest Radio history and the voice of drive time KJR in the 1960s. At one point, one-third of all radios were tuned to Pat's show on KJR in the Puget Sound area, which is crazy. I asked Pat O'Day way back then, when he'd be sitting there in the KJR studio over on Harbor Island, did he think about listeners like Tom King cruising Colby up in Everett? I thought about those guys in their cars, in their Ford Thunderbirds and their Chevy Camaros and talked directly to them. And also, you know, we played music directly to them. To hear Pat describe it, radio was so much more organic back then. It was live, and he was actually, the listeners, there was this dialogue going on. There wasn't any Facebook or texting, but there was this sort of ethereal dialogue going on between the kids and the DJ. And they were in touch, and I mean beyond calling the request line. And, of course, I'm biased about this power of live radio thing, but I think it's real in this case. Now, back on Colby the other day, cruising 2020 style, Tom King explained why driving back and forth all those years ago was such an appealing way to spend an evening. It was a combination of the, of the freedom to have in a car and everybody else's company, enjoying other people's cars, listening to the music, trying to sometimes, you know, pick, pick up a girl. Uh, it was just kind of the experience, you know, it was a Friday and a Saturday night. You might have a date on one night, but it was coming up here, you know, the school was over for the week or whatever. And it was just a place to go where and it didn't really cost you anything other than, of course, gas, but it was here. And it was, and you didn't, you know, you didn't get in trouble and it was just, it was like it was kind of kind of brought everybody together. I mean, it was kind of a common bond. Yeah, he says gas was about twenty eight cents a gallon in his memory back then, and he's <laughs> made a lot of money working on the in the strawberry fields there up in Snohomish County. But you know, cruising Colby actually got to be kind of a nuisance by the late nineteen seventies and was outlawed by ordinance. There was there was some crime that happened there, and people complaining about the noise and everything. I cruised rented in the early eighties. Uh, there was a loop down there, yeah, like nineteen eighty three or eighty four. I was You're trying too to think. young to have cruised rented. Well, you know, I'm, I was an, I'm an old soul, Dave. Um, <laughs> but uh, then there were problems in Kirkland in the early nineteen nineties. I remember when I was an intern at Cairo, I went out with reporter Carrie Owen, and we covered the cruising scene on Lake Washington Boulevard one night, probably back in nineteen ninety or ninety one. Anyway, um, it, it's all changed. The kids have all gone to social media and their laptops or whatever. No, there's no kids out there. There are these cruising events every now and then. They have nostalgic gatherings of people with old well, cars. Amazing old cars. Yeah, yeah. Classic. And this was going on all over Puget Sound. I love to hear people's memories. Call the Cairo request line. No, we don't have a request line. No. But send us a text at uh, 989073 if you cruise somewhere in the Puget Sound. But we have a picture of Tom King, 64 Ford Falcon there, and other photos at My Northwest. Can we have Pat O'Day take us out of the segment? Sure. KJR Seattle. Channel 95. Hey, Tom, cruising Colby up there in Everett. I hear that you would like to hear a Creedence song. How about Bad Moon Rising? I see Bad Moon Rising. So maybe it's coming back with people isolating themselves in their cars. There's no no bodily fluids exchange. Just wave to the window, and you know everybody's everybody's happy and safe. They drive home and self isolate some more. So let's uh, we'll get through this together. Yeah, yeah, we will. I miss that whole scene because, of course, I was um, I was I was streaming uh, news radio, which was new back then, 1968. And, and uh, I don't know for some reason you you cruise down the street with your windows down and the news radio pumping out WCBS and. Girls were not attracted to that. Yeah, hey about that. Hey, how about that Johnson administration? Yeah, <laughs> yeah how about that Johnson administration? Things are swinging in Seattle. Things are swinging in Seattle. It's the place for me. It'll always be. Things are swinging in Seattle. 
Now for the Nevergreen Minute, a roundup of exhibits, tours, talks, and other history events happening around the Pacific Northwest. First up, Friends of Fort Vancouver presents an author talk with Judy Bentley and Craig Romano about their book, Hiking Washington's History, this Thursday, April 21st at 6.45 p.m. More info at friendsoffortvancouver.org. Next up, Stillicum Tribal Cultural Center in Stillicum will host a cleaning party at the Tribal History Museum on Saturday, April 30th. More info at stillicumtribe.business.site. And finally, high school students are invited to apply to the Washington Trust for Historic Preservation's Summer Youth Heritage Project in Port Townsend, taking place July 12th through the 15th. Application deadline and more info at preservewa.org. We'll have more Northwest history happenings on next week's edition of the Nevergreen Minute. I'm Felix Bunnell at Cairo News Radio in Seattle. You can follow me on Twitter and read my stories and see my photo galleries at MyNorthwest.com. If you like what you hear, please share with a friend and please take a moment to give a positive rating or review. Thanks for listening and please join me again for the next episode of The Resident Historian. And it is with this thought that we most reluctantly conclude our glimpses of Washington State. KJR Seattle. Channel 95.